Hey everybody, welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host Valerie, so grateful to have you guys here today. And I just wanted to spend this next few minutes visiting with the hypothetical you and actually just musing with you on some of the thoughts and feelings I've had in the last few days on the heels of the AP article that was just published regarding um, the childhood sex abuse and the allegations that the church has been hiding or not reporting, under-reporting, some pretty serious allegations that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has under-reported and actually has a system set up that protects the perpetrator of sex abuse. When this was brought to my attention, I, well, I started looking at it and then I just had to put it down, honestly, because it was honestly just, it was upsetting to me. I, um, as you know, or many of you know, maybe I am a, a trauma therapist. And uh, what, one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is I uh, work with a lot of victims of sexual abuse. And so, and when I saw this, I, I was upset. I was, I was really concerned, sad. It was a little bit triggering to me personally, because I've both been, um, in church leadership and then and now of course i am a mandated reporter of sexual abuse and it's almost like this whole thing kind of hit me really close to home from a few different directions and i also then after reading the ap article i read the church's response to the ap article and i had a lot of thoughts on that too and so i want to spend this time with you really just reflecting on my my thoughts and feelings. And I will be very candid with you in saying I've only been studying and thinking about this, although I will confess it's been almost nonstop if I've been thinking about this for the last 36 to 48 hours. And so my thoughts and feelings are not well developed, but I've taken a few notes and I want to just talk to you guys and even perhaps present a few questions that I wish would be answered by the church so that I can better understand what happened and how this could happen. The, the words that were used in the church's response, the two words that kind of struck me were, they said we were mischaracterized and the article is oversimplified and incomplete and seriously misrepresents the church and its efforts. I, I want to believe that's true. And certainly something as complicated as this issue cannot be sort of condensed down into a two to three page article by the Associated Press. So I want to actually give the benefit of the doubt that that certainly has to be true. And yet at the same time, a four paragraph response from the church is not an adequate explanation for me as a member to exonerate the church from what seems like a very serious problem that the article has put forward to the public. So while I want to give grace, I also want to ask for more. I want to ask for an explanation. If, if they've been underrepresented, if, we've been, if, if the church has been misrepresented, if things have been oversimplified, then the logical 
ask that I have as a as constituent of the church is to is for you as a church to help it not be oversimplified and to give me an answer, to give us a complicated answer, <laughs> a more full answer, to help us understand how you have been misrepresented other than the very sort of um, brushed over and reductionistic response that you made that we're misunderstood, we're misrepresented, you don't understand, we do a lot of good here. That's not enough for me. And if, if, you, if you want to defend yourself, I'm asking you to please do so, because as a trauma therapist, I see too much pain and suffering on the side of the victim for this to be an excusable way to respond. So what I'm asking are these things. These are just some of my very, very initial beginning thoughts about this subject. In my recent study of and presentation of the stages of spiritual development, if you go back two or three episodes, I talk a lot about various um, aspects of different stages of, of faith development and the orthodox phase or the or the um, the orthodox phase is stage number two of the stages of spiritual development. It's a lower level stage. And one of the components of it is a lot of legalist behavior, behavior that really, really is interested in the letter of the law. And my recent study of this probably is one of the reasons um, why this whole unfolding, uh, the AP article and the response really struck me and kind of made me upset and a little bit sick to my stomach was that while in some states of the United States, there is some sort of a protection against reporting, reporting something that is confessed to somebody in a, an ecclesiastical office, even if that is the letter of the law, there's something that really upsets me about following the letter of the law when what you're doing is keeping a human being in extreme danger. Even while that may be legal, my question to you is, is it right? It may be at the end of the day that the church doesn't end up getting sued because maybe it's possible that legally they did nothing wrong. This bishop in Arizona did nothing wrong. I do not know exactly which states. I know each state in the United States seems to have, there seems to be several tiers of the law. Um, some are excused as mandated reporters and others are not. But I would like to believe that as, a, as an institution that represents God and that wants to be a means by which people come closer to God and feel protected by the institution, I'd like to believe that there is an, a higher law that we follow that has more to do with protecting the victim than protecting the perpetrator. And that is really, really upsetting to me that an institution would even call upon those um, rights at any point in time when there is a time or a situation where the victim is in active danger. Now, I don't know if there are times, and this is where I'm going to be very, very transparent, I'm not, I'm not an expert at this. And so I can see that perhaps maybe there are times when clergy keep a secret. I don't believe that time is ever appropriate when somebody is in active danger. I will never accept that there is any condition under which somebody who is perpetrating abuse on any level ought to be protected for any reason 
when somebody is actively being injured. So if that is, if there is perhaps some sort of a, a loophole when they don't have to um, share a secret, when a, when a bishop or a state president doesn't have to share something, this cannot be what is meant by that. That's my other question. I would like for you to respond and say, how is it that even if it's legal, how is it in what in what universe is that moral? And in what universe is that appropriate? And is that right? Because the perpetrator is in suffering. Um, that's true. And maybe their eternal souls are in um, question at the moment. But there is nothing saved and there's nothing they are not being helped by our letting them go back and continue to hurt the victim. They need help, which means they need to be um, contained. The child or the victim needs to be um, separated from them. Something needs to happen that is immediate. And so I'd love to have an answer and a response as to why, even in the states, when this is um, sort of technically or legally acceptable, why it would ever be experienced as acceptable from your legal department or from your social workers that come from this helpline that was discussed in the AP article. I don't understand that. Something else that um, I would like to understand a little bit more about is the article mentioned something about this department that was formed in the mid 90s as being under the wing at um, the general level of the risk management department. That troubled me because to me, I would like to believe that if there if this is um, a resource for local lay pastors to reach out and get assistance because they don't in fact have the training as mandated reporters, which is a, in and of itself a whole other problem. But let's just suppose for a moment that there is this helpline that is um, designated um, to help lay pastors with issues that are um, legitimately over their heads because they don't have formal training in how to manage things of this nature. Why would this department be in the risk management department and not in the family services department or something likened to that? When I hear risk management department, what I think about is how the church is protecting themselves from financial risk. I hear that this department was created to protect the church from lawsuits. I don't hear in this that the church is trying to protect its own precious members and its own precious children and other vulnerable populations. I want to be wrong. So I would love to hear a response in how, how I can better understand why this department, why this helpline is under the umbrella of risk management. Because what it sounds like to me is it's protecting two parties. It sounds like it's protecting the church financially. And it sounds like it's protecting sometimes, maybe inadvertently, but all the same, it seems as if it's protecting the perpetrator by not reporting, but it's not protecting the victim. Again, I want to be wrong, but I fear that I'm not. I fear that sometimes what happens here is they don't want to report because the church doesn't want to get involved in a costly lawsuit. That leads me to my next point. And this is, again, I'm just taking, I'm just asking hard questions because I'm just, I'm claiming my, my concern, my confusion, and my own ignorance. The next question I have is, how does the church justify, or what is the reasoning behind under-reporting as a way to protect themselves? I can only speak for myself, and I recognize um, 
the absolute difference between running a private a, solo, a private practice, which I am a private practitioner, I have a couple of employees, but I am a, I'm a small I'm a small deal, right? And this church is a multi-million person institution. So I 100% recognize that we're talking apples and oranges. We're not comparing the same kinds of thing. And yet at the same time, I'm just going to use my own small experience to express my concern and my confusion. As a private practitioner, a healthcare professional, um, and a mandated reporter, not only and primarily am I, I am responsible for the welfare of the people that I work with, and my highest priority is their health and safety. And yet also at the same time, I am also protecting myself as a practitioner by reporting abuse. I will actually be potentially in much more legal problems if I underreport, if I know about abuse that's taking place and I don't report it to the state, then if I, so let me say, let me see if I can get my words, wrap my words around this. I am in more legal danger by not reporting it and it coming out later that I knew about it and didn't say anything. I guess what I'm trying to ask you as a church is how is it any different for you? As we see in this case in Arizona, what my logic is telling me seems to be true in your case too, meaning that we do more damage by under-reporting than by far than we do by over-reporting. The worst thing that could happen is what happened in the case that was reported in the AP article, which is this. A bishop does what he's supposed to do. He, he supposedly follows the letter of the law, the protocol given to him by the church because he's trying to be obedient. In which case, in this case at least, a couple or a few individuals are profoundly wounded. They are sexually abused for years. And then when it comes out later, when a state investigation actually does crack open, the church is not protected like supposedly it thought it would be protected by underreporting, but it's actually in a situation that is a thousand times worse than if they had gone through the motions of reporting it. So I guess I just want you to explain to me why underreporting feels safer from a risk management perspective than even perhaps overreporting? Please help me understand this because I don't understand. It feels to me as if better safe than sorry, better to overreport and get the authorities involved and help um, the, per the proper people be connected with the proper entities um, at the state level to get the key to help the children and the vulnerable parties be safe outside of the hands of the church. Because um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think that another important component of this is we have a lay clergy. Lay clergy cannot be expected to know how to handle serious issues um, that involve abuse, mental health issues, um, diagnosis, um, intense trauma, marriage counseling struggles. They just don't have the skill set. They shouldn't be expected to know what to do. And I would even go so far as to say even a helpline at the higher levels cannot be um, expected to know how to even counsel a bishop or a state president in situations of this nature by one single phone call following um, a protocol. And for them to immediately turn to a, to a, a law department or the attorneys that the church has hired, once again, to me speaks to them not going in the right direction. I'm just curious, please help me understand why would you not 
um, immediately turn this over to local people that have training in the in the residence of where the families are living that are in danger, where the local division of family services can be um, aware of and keeping track of these various families completely independent of the church. I don't know how it differs between my private practice and, a, and an institution, as, especially because I at least have training on how to um, see, notice, and um, I can. I have a little bit more of a skill set, I think, as a prof, as a mental health professional than a lay clergy member, than a bishop. So I just wish that these poor bishops were not. Um, I feel like in some ways they really are the victims too, and I don't want to. I don't want to trigger anybody by acting like um, I'm being overly sensitive or overly protective of the bishops, but in the reading of the AP article, it felt to me like the bishops had sort of, um, they were being loyal to the institution, but perhaps not loyal to their own consciences. And I feel like that once again is the product of an institution that invites underdevelopment and actually promotes to positions of power, authority and influence those who are going to be loyal to the institution at all costs, even if it means that people's lives are in extreme danger. And I feel like that has to be looked at, that has to be addressed. We have to protect human beings before we protect something like an institution. Human beings matter more than institutions, because after all, an institution is only just the composite of, of the souls of the people that attend. Okay, these are just um, my preliminary musings on this more recent AP report. And my musings, my questions, my pleas. My plea is that the church listen to people like myself um, with no positions of power or authority, just a big heart and a deep well of concern for people that suffer, for victims of abuse. I guess I have one final thought that I would, a question that I have and a plea, a wish, an ask. If this helpline was created truly to assist underqualified lay clergy in complex situations, then why can't we look at this situation and what has unfolded here and likely what has unfolded elsewhere in the world? And why can't we come forward as a church and say, we intended something to happen to be helpful and something else has happened. My question is this, why can't you use this as an opportunity to change the policy, to recognize that even if in my, I'm, I'm trying in my musings with you to give you the benefit of the doubt that maybe you created this helpline to truly help people to help bishops, to help them understand how to work through complex situations. I don't know if that's actually true, if that's really what your intent was, but for the moment, let's just say that it is. And here we are all these years later, and now we're seeing that what is happening is that the bishops are not getting the resourcing that they need. People are being injured actively by the underreporting. Now we know that this helpline is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's actually increasing the harm that's coming that people are experiencing because they're not reporting. 
what needs to be reported to local authorities so that children and other vulnerable parties can be protective, protected. If that is truly what is going on, I'm asking those that have the power and the authority in the church to please acknowledge that something has gone south. This is not working. It is hurting people. Can you, will you take this opportunity to look at this, to change your policies, to take a strong stand against the vulnerable? Will you consider looking at what it what happens when you create a four paragraph response that doesn't actually answer the question it remains so vague it's not dignifying the suffering of the people those real people those real little girls in that home in arizona it's not dignifying a lot of the suffering that has happened when many many people have gone in and have reported suffering have reported abuse have reported crime and it's not being reported can you see this as an opportunity to change, to say, I'm sorry, to look at the policy and, and help us feel like we are in a collaborative relationship with you? This is my plea, my hope. And I think this is the way that the church could actually be set in order where all of us recognize our joint humanity. Maybe our intentions were good. Maybe our motives were pure, but sometimes things go poorly. And the only thing that we can expect of one another is that when things go poorly, we take ownership of it. We say, I'm sorry. We implement those things that we teach as missionaries to people that are trying to learn about repentance. We say, I did something wrong. I made a mistake. I will not do it again. I will do everything I can to make it right. And then we work through that process so that other parties can see that we see our own woundedness and we do what it takes to heal what has been hurt. That four paragraph article did not go the distance in any way, shape or form of helping us seeing that wounded individuals are being met. It did not help us understand any part of what you as a church may be seeing you could have done or could still do differently to help us see that our pain and our suffering is being regarded. We're asking you to join us in this collaborative process. I think we're tired of this feeling like this is a one-way conversation. And I guess that's all I have to say for now. If this is uh, something that is resonating with you, um, those of you who listen to my podcast, um, I thank you for the time. I apologize, I guess, for not necessarily having a lot of organized musings other than just I wanted to just um, share with you my heart of what's been weighing deeply and heavily on me as a therapist who pretty much on the daily works with people. I mean, maybe not every day, but probably every week I'm working with somebody who's overcoming, um, who's, who's fighting for their life to overcome sexual trauma. I just really feel strongly about this. And I really feel strongly about um, helping our church wake up to itself, helping them see themselves so that um, the hemorrhaging that is going on in the church can, um, can be slowed down. I'm just asking for collaboration and accountability. And if this is something that resonates with you, I really want this change to happen. And I think it's going to be important for us at the grassroots to continue to keep having these kinds of conversations to sort of understand the bigger picture of what's going on, of the various reasons why we're struggling in a church, why there are so many of us that want to stay active and faithful, but are having um, a lot of struggles. We're really trying hard to find reasons to stay. We're having a hard time um, 
with situations of this nature where we feel like we are um we're in a we're participating in a, in a one-sided conversation so if this is something that rings true to you my my invitation to you as always is to please share this podcast with those that um, may join us in in trying to have a little bit more of a collaborative conversation uh with uh, with um, those that have more power and authority in our church and also i invite you to please write a positive review and rate this podcast because that is the way that this podcast can actually grow organically and other people can find it I know we're sort of a small niche um, as a church, but I think the message that um, we are all collectively trying to share matters. Um, in some ways, it's a matter of life and death for the, for the life of our church. So thank you for being with me and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.